And uh, I want you to come with me to Colossians chapter 2. And reading from verse 13, Paul says, You were dead because of your sins. You were dead. You're not now dead, but you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He doesn't say, and God will make you alive with Christ. He says, God then made you, past tense, alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There are so many scriptures that, that repeat that promise. As far as the east is from the west is as far as he has taken our sin, the charges that have been against us. He has removed them. How far is the east from the west? We don't know. You know, you just keep going east and you leave the planet, you end up in the universe and, you know, we've not found the end of the universe. We, we, we I don't think have even found the end of our own solar system, our own galaxy. And you just keep going east and at the same time you're traveling, someone else is traveling west and it's just, we just don't know where the end is. And, and the Bible says that's how far he has taken our sin and removed it from us and that's what he has already done for us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, listen to this, he disarmed, he disempowered, he, he took the weaponry off the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He then goes on and says, so don't let anyone condemn you. And he's talking in a context here about eating and drinking and whether we should observe certain religious uh, um, uh, days or, or, or observances and, and, and so on. He says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. But he's saying that he has disarmed, he has disempowered our enemy and his ability to to steal and rob and destroy the very thing that Jesus died to give us, he has disempowered them. He has broken their ability to rob, steal and destroy the purpose of God in your life, your destiny, your future that Jesus died to give you. He has broken his power to stop you from becoming all Jesus died for you to become. Have you ever wondered then why it is that we often experience a discrepancy between what the Bible says is ours and what actually is taking place in our life. My peace I give to you, Jesus said, yet we continue to live with anxiety. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world brings peace, but only in a way that it will be everlasting, it will be solid, it will be something that you won't be able to explain. And in the midst of the storms of life and the disappointments of life and the setbacks of life and the challenges of life, you will experience my peace rather than anxiety. Yet our experience is that we often live with anxiety more than we do with peace. Have you ever wondered why that might actually be? Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Now, I know that's not talking about those that haven't come to him yet. We're talking about those that have come to him. And yet many of us who have come to him find ourselves constantly weary and discouraged. Yet at the same time, Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest because my burden is easy. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. 
And Jesus said, I'm actually energized by serving kingdom purpose and, and, and following the will of the Father. But we find our experience doesn't always line up with what the Bible promises is ours. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly, yet life and joy and contentment seem to constantly escape our grasp. I, I've actually come to believe, and I want you to hear this, I, I've come to believe that the way in which we follow Jesus, the way in which we follow Jesus largely determines how much of Jesus we actually experience. The way in which we follow Jesus largely determines how much of Jesus and his promises and his commitment to us and the scripture that we just opened with. He has disarmed the principalities and powers. He has had uh, secured a victory of them over the cross. The way in which we follow him largely determines how much we actually experience of him. In Joshua chapter 1, and I don't have this in my notes, but I know Ben's going to put it up there on the screen for you. Three times in this passage, Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. And the first time, he's told to be strong and courageous in his direction. So the direction that he has called to follow, the direction he has called by heaven to take, he, he's saying, Joshua, be strong in your direction. Things are going to come your way that will try and discourage you, that will try and steal your joy, your hope, your sense of purpose. It will come your way and, and the enemy will try and steal. But I'm assuring you today that if you stay strong in your direction, you will actually get there. And he says, be strong and of good courage for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong, Joshua, in what I've called you to. Don't, you know, don't, don't swerve to the left or to the right, but stay the course. Keep your eyes on me and stay strong in what I've called you to. Don't allow the enemy to come alongside of you and whisper in your ear that you haven't got what it takes, that you can't do this because I've called you. I'll equip you. I'm telling you, if you stay strong in your direction, you will achieve what I've called you to do. But you've got to stay strong. You've got to stay strong in following me. Got, there's going to be times, Joshua, where you won't feel my presence. That's where your faith has to kick in. And you have to know that I've already promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. Then he goes on, he says, but don't just be strong in your direction because you won't stay strong in your direction if you aren't also strong in your devotion. He goes on and he says, be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. Blessed is the man who does not delight in the things of this world, in the ways of this world. His, his delight is in the word of God. If you're strong in your devotion, if you stay close to me, if you stay walking daily, you get up in the morning and you, good morning, Holy Spirit, uh, today, help me to follow you. Help me to do what you've called me to do. Help me to be obedient to your word, not just to the nice things in your word, but the things that challenge me, the things that I find hard to do. Uh, be strong in your devotion. And when you're strong in your devotion, you'll be strong in your direction because your devotion will continue to fuel your motivation and your, your, your source of encouragement and supply that you need to stay the course of your direction. And then he closes off again with the third one. Be strong and, and very courageous. Um, uh, the book of the law shall not depart. That's still the devotion. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you'll go, go to the next one there. Ben, is there another one? Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor dismayed. 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What he's saying there is be strong in your determination. So be strong in your direction. Know what I've called you to and stay the course. Be strong in your devotion. That will fuel your sense of ability to stay the course. But be strong in your determination. Knowing that I will never leave you. Knowing that I will always be there for you. Knowing that I will always supply everything you need to get where you are going. And sometimes you will feel like you haven't got what you need. But I'm always there and I will always give you what you need when you need it. It's a life of faith. You know, I want to say this to you this morning. Heaven has accomplished and decreed certain things for our benefit. Heaven has already accomplished and decreed or declared certain things for our benefit. But unless it is enforced by an unreserved followership of Jesus, an unreserved followership of no matter what this costs me, I will follow you. No matter what price I have to pay, I will follow you. No matter what pain I have to endure, I will follow you. And if we will be unreserved in our followership of and our faith in Jesus, we will find that we will begin to step into everything heaven has decreed and determined for us. Yet we are often so shallow in our Christian faith that the only time we think about God is when we come to church on Sunday. We rarely open our Bible through the week. We, we, we only ever seem to turn to Jesus when we have a need. And at that point, we're even floundering to find him because we're not accustomed to actually doing life with him. And at that point, we think, God, you, you promised that, that the, these principalities and powers would be disarmed, but I feel like they've got all the forces of hell arrayed against me, and I don't feel like I'm going to overcome. Is it because of the way in which we're following Jesus, we're not actually experiencing all that Jesus has promised for us. You know, I shared this, well, I started to share this last Sunday morning and I stopped and I said, if I do that, I won't have much to preach. A few years ago, we came to the office and someone had put a concrete block through one of our front windows. It made an absolute mess of it. Huge concrete, and it's all reinforced glass, so it didn't actually go right through, but it shattered the glass and made an incredible mess, and it's expensive glass, and so it was going to be a big cost to us. And one of our staff at the time realized that the boulevard next door has security cameras just on their wall, and it was actually pointing right where the uh, glass was broken. And so we went and asked them, could we view their security footage? And sure enough, there we have the fellow pushing this, or throwing this concrete block at our window. But we kept watching the security footage, and, and very soon we saw him walk towards the camera, and he looks up at the camera. So full view of his face, knew exactly who he was. We didn't know who he was, but the police knew who he was. We then saw him grab a hold of a girl, who we found out was his girlfriend, and beat her to a pulp. And we thought, we really need to do something about this. So we called the police. They viewed the footage from next door, and which, by the way, we now have our own 24-hour surveillance video. So you don't pick your nose in church. And so the police, as soon as they saw it, they said, oh, we know this guy. He's known to us. And so they, they, they found him. They located him. They arrested him. He went to court. And the court decreed that he was to pay for our window. 
It was a ruling made by the judge on the day he went to court, said, you, you have done this, yes, you, you can't deny it, your face is on the camera, we've got, caught you red-handed, and she, he was a charge with assault for his girlfriend and all that sort of stuff, but you will pay the church for the replacement of the window. That, that was a ruling in the court. They decreed that. It was something that was determined by the judge, and it was the law. So it, it, he couldn't get away from it. But you know, to this day, we've never been paid for the window. We've never been paid for the... And I think many of the things in the Bible are like that, where there are decrees from heaven, but unless they're enforced by our unreserved followership of Jesus and our faith in Jesus, where we take what's been decreed and we apply it to our life, we appropriate it to our life, then we never see the fulfillment of what heaven has actually determined. So what, what needed to happen was someone needed to go and enforce what the judge had determined was to happen with regard to our window, but it was never, ever enforced. So to this day, we've never been paid for the window. So just because the Bible says something doesn't automatically mean that it's yours. I think the way in which we follow Jesus and our, our constant trust and faith in him on a day-to-day basis determines the breakthroughs we get, the healings we receive, the blessings from heaven that are promised to us. I think the way in which we follow Jesus determines how much of that becomes a reality in our life. Just because the Bible says it's ours doesn't make it automatic. We have to appropriate the promises of God by Faith, the victory Jesus achieved at the cross, has to be wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly embraced. Not half-heartedly, not half-baked, but wholeheartedly embraced. You see, the, the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 rattles off all of these great men and women of God achieved and broke through at incredible levels and achieved incredible results as a result of faith. But then it goes on and it says, and all of these obtained the promises of God. They weren't automatic. They obtained the promises of God by their unreserved faith and followership of their God. You know, the only way that we can live in the fullness of what Jesus purchased at Calvary is through knowing God's word, wholehearted repentance. We don't like this message on repentance so much. Wholehearted repentance. Repentance is not about saying, oh, sorry, God, I did that. And then we go and do it again tomorrow. Repentance actually means I am going to stop that lifestyle. I am going to stop that behavior. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to walk in the opposite direction to the lifestyle that I've chosen to live. So it comes through a knowing of God's word, knowing what's been decreed, knowing what's been promised, knowing what is mine, and then out of a wholehearted repentance, God, I am no longer going to live my life the way I want to live it. I will, as we sang this morning, at the cross, I surrender my life. And I think the reason there is so much frustration in the house of God today is because we haven't fully surrendered. We're wanting to have one foot in one camp and one foot in God's camp and just hope that we'll get the best of God and the best of the world at the same time. God can't work with that. God is longing for people who will surrender their life, who will turn from the, from the world, the world behind me, the cross before me. He's Look, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 
He'd ministered. He'd brought healing. He'd brought life. He'd brought breakthrough to so many people. And then he sits towards the end of his ministry and he cries. He's sitting on the mountain overlooking the city and he weeps and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks. What does a mother hen do with her chicks? She protects them. She feeds them. She supplies for them. She looks after them. She keeps them warm. She keeps them safe. That's what Jesus is saying. Just like that, I long to gather you, but you would not. You, you wanted what I had, but you didn't want to pay the price to get it. And all the price is, is a wholehearted repentance. It's a turning from my way to God's way. It's a turning from the way of the world to the way of the word of God. What does the Bible say? That's what we need to embrace. So the only way to really experience the fullness of the cross is through knowing God's word. It's knowing what is ours and through a wholehearted repentance. And then it's an embracing, listen to me, of the way of salvation. It's an embracing of the way of salvation. When it comes to knowing God's word, Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 gives us an amazing insight. Hosea says, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. Christians are missing out on so much because they don't know what is rightfully theirs. We miss out on so much of the blessing of God, the power of God, the provision of God, because we don't know what is rightfully ours. My people are destroyed. The message translation says my people are ruined because they don't know what's right and what's true. It's a promise straight out of God's word. I was reading Daniel chapter 9 this week. and It's an amazing insight to what can happen when we discover truth in God's word. Daniel chapter 9 says, It was in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, watch this, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. Daniel got a revelation that time is up. I read in the word of God, the 70 years, it is up. We no longer belong here. We no longer need to, to sit in chains and fear and anxiety and a loss of hope. I read in the word of the Lord that the time is up. So I turned and I began to plead. I began to intercede with God. God, I have just read in your word that it's time for us people to be set free. And you can say amen if you kind of picked up what that really means. You know, it's like he, he got a revelation. When we know the truth and we appropriate it to our life, we will find freedom. We will find freedom. Trouble is we don't know the truth. And then sometimes we get to know the truth, but we don't appropriate it to our life. We don't fight for it because there is a devil out there does not want you appropriating it to your life. So he'll do everything he can to stop you appropriating it. But if you just stay the course and you just sit in God's word and you discover the truth and then you apply it and you begin to pray and you begin to fight in the heavenly realm for what is rightfully yours, you will get a breakthrough in due course. The second thing we've got to do is wholehearted repentance. You see, just reading the Bible will not get you what the Bible has promised. We have to have a wholehearted repentance. Listen to me, folks. 
We don't have a lot of altar calls in, in our church, and there's a reason for that. I've always struggled with altar calls because I've not seen many altar calls alter people's calls. If when you come to an altar call, your call is not altered, all you've done is wet the carpet with tears. Nothing changes in our life. It has to come out of a wholehearted sense of surrender to the cross, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not about just saying he's my Lord when your life doesn't reflect that he's your Lord. It's about saying, God, I surrender my life to you. You know, I... This might shock some of you, but God has no grace for carnality. So hang on a minute. He's a God of grace. He has grace for everyone. Yeah. He doesn't have grace for carnality. He doesn't have grace for religious behavior. Listen to me. He only has grace for the brokenhearted, a broken and contrite heart. He only has grace for those that recognize their need of grace. He does not have grace for carnal behavior. He does not have grace for living however we want to live. He only has grace for those that come to him out of their desperate need of knowing, I need you, Jesus. And without you, I'm lost. Without you, I'm powerless. Without you, I have nothing. He does not have grace for carnality. He only has grace for brokenness. I know that. Kylie shared it this morning as she was hosting, and she said it out of 1 Peter, but James also says it. He gives more grace. He pours out his grace. Therefore, God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, the humble is the one that says, God, I surrender. I need you. I need you. It's wholehearted repentance. God, I will change the way I live. I will change the way I think. God, with your help, Holy Spirit, come. When I walk out of here today, I want to live like a Christ follower. I don't want to live by a church goer. I want to live as a Christ follower. A sense of, I surrender my life to you. I want to be obedient to you. I want you to direct my life and steer my ship from this moment on. The Pharisee and the sinner in the temple. Listen to this, Luke 18 verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. I've been going to church for 50 years now and I don't live like a sinner. I tithe regularly. I worship God. I read my Bible. And sometimes we can become overconfident with what we do rather than a recognition of what Jesus has done. And he, he, he said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a churchgoer. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector sitting over there. My goodness. Can you believe this? I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So a wholehearted repentance is a wholehearted humbling of oneself. It's an acknowledgement, Jesus, I am no longer going to live life my own way. I want to open my Bible every morning and say, how do you want me to live? 
What do you want me to stop doing? What do you want me to stop saying? What kind of thinking patterns do you want me to embrace? What kind of thinking patterns do you want me to shake off? That's the, and you, you won't change overnight. But as long as you face every day with that wholehearted sense of help me, Jesus, to live more like you, you, you will find he will begin to lift you because he gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. He administers life and hope and purpose to the humble, but to the proud, those who are now depending upon how well they've lived over the last 30 years since they got saved. He kind of just goes, you've lost the plot. You need me every single day. You know, God has no grace for religious practice that doesn't flow from a genuine following of his son. I read this verse this week. I haven't read a lot of Jude there's only one chapter in Jude. It's a very quick book to read. But I read this verse this week, and I don't want you to miss this. Don't, whatever you do, don't, don't miss what I'm about to show you. But in Jude, in the only chapter in Jude, verses 3 to 4, Jude says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly, had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find myself having to write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some, watch this, he's talking about the church. This is New Testament, folks. He's talking about the gathering like we are here today. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. It frightens me not just in our church, but across the church, the amount of young people who are sleeping together who aren't married, and yet they'll come to church and worship Jesus. And I think, I can't get my head around that. And we say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ. He's the Lord of my life. And then they go home and sleep together. I've, you know, I just learned this week, even in, in this roundtable discussion, there are churches in our nation that they have worship leaders on the platform who are going home sleeping with their girlfriend, living together in a de facto relationship, and then get up here and lead people to worship the throne of grace because they say, well, God has grace for this. But here I'm reading in the word of God, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows them to live immoral lives. And he says, the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a denial of Christ, not a following of Christ. I don't say that to condemn anybody today. My heart is to appeal wholehearted repentance. Turn from following the ways of this world. You know, I've heard the arguments now, the modern day church. No, it's okay to sleep together. Try before you buy. It's, it's you know, you, you, it's, it's, we're going to get married anyway. Yet it flies in the face of what the word of God is actually telling us. And I think the Lord is saying, unless you have an unreserved followership of me as your Lord, and you put your faith in me, and you're prepared to forsake the way of the world. You see, the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is actually to be at odds with God. And that's not saying don't be friends with the world in order to win them to Christ. It's saying friendships with their values, friendship with their way of living, their way of life. Jude goes on in verse 11. He says, what sorrow awaits them? For they... You didn't yell out incoming then. You're not watching my back. <laughs> he goes on, he says, What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. You know, 
There are people killing their brother every day in church life today in the Western world. We kill each other with our words. We kill each other with our resentments and our unforgiveness. We kill each other constantly. And it's like Cain rising up and I didn't get what I wanted, so I'll kill Abel. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. You know, John chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus says these words, I will no longer talk much more with you. You see, the cross was getting close. And he said, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing on me or in me. Has the devil got something on you? Is your lifestyle blocking the purpose of God where the devil can say, because of his lifestyle, he cannot have the promise of God. Where the devil is standing and, and fighting against you getting what is, is rightfully yours, but you're missing it because of the lifestyle that you live. Jesus said he's coming, but he's got nothing on me. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 through 11, John says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and king, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Oh, we all want that. It's come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. But then he says this, for the accuser of our brothers and our sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. The devil right now, until this takes place, is accusing you. And he's saying legally before God, he cannot have your promises because he's not following you. He's not surrendered to you. He's not submitted to you. He's actually living contrary to your word. And, and because there's not that wholehearted repentance, it's not about not making mistakes. It's not about stumbling and falling. It's about getting up each day saying, I want to live for Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me. And the accuser will come and block us from having what is God is rightfully ours. In our Living Free program, we haven't run one for a while, but in our Living Free program, remember we, we talked about you know people... Um, your heavenly Father, if you stand praying and you don't forgive somebody, then forgiveness can't flow from heaven towards you. And so what happens is we come to church wanting a breakthrough. God, I need a breakthrough. God, I need a healing. Meanwhile, we've got all this resentment and bitterness towards a brother or sister in Christ because of what they did do or what they didn't do. And the devil's there saying, God, you cannot give them a breakthrough because your word actually says that if they don't follow you and do what you say, they'll be like a, an unwise man who built his house, his life upon the sand. And when the storms come and the wind comes, because they're not doing what they say, that storm, that house will crash. And so the devil's there saying, God, you can't give them the breakthrough because they're not doing what they say. See, God will never contradict his word. Is this making sense? He will never contradict his word. Jesus is blessed is the one who hears what I'm saying and does it. He'll be like a man who builds his life on solid ground. And when the storms come, when the problems come, when the challenges come, your house will stand and you'll still be there when the wind is blown away. But if you don't hear and do what I say, your life is going to be like a house built on sand. And the devil knows that. And he's saying, God, they're not living according to your word. And, and you know, it's not about mistakes. It's about outright decisions. I am not going to do that. I'll go to church and I'll follow Jesus to this point. That I'm not going to embrace. That is going to cost me too much. And, and it's like we are, we are sabotaging our breakthrough in God. And I, I think Jesus right now is stirring his church to a, an unreserved followership of him and his word. We are in the last of the last days, folks, and it's going to get hot. Will you embrace the world or will you embrace 
Jesus. The last thing is embracing the way of salvation. Acts 16 verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Let me quickly read this to you. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The New Living Translation there in Luke 9, 23 says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. We have Christians today in church following Jesus their way. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the door of the sheep. And you can only come through me. You come to my house for dinner. You come and knock on the front door. You try and climb through the window, I'm going to be offended. I come to your house for dinner. You next minute you hear a rattle at the toilet window at the back. And you go in and you look and here's, here's me, half in the window and half out. And I'm trying to, what are you doing? Well, I'm coming for dinner. So well, what are you coming there? Well, I just wanted to come through the toilet window. But the way into my house is through the front door. And you knock or you ring the doorbell. It's no different to God's house. You want to come into my house? Jesus said, there's a way to do it. You don't come your way, you come my way. And Jesus is saying to us, the only way is through a wholehearted repentance and a turning of your old ways and an embracing of God's ways. And you know, I, when I first got saved, and I'm, I'm going to close with this because I'm, I'm running out of time, but when I first got saved, I, I got on my knees beside my bed. I wasn't engaged to Margot. I'd only been saved a few months, but I'd heard the preaching and teaching of God's word. And I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I said, from this day forward, I'm going to live to the best of my ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, according to the word of God. Whatever you want me to give up, I promise I will give up. Whatever you want me to forsake, I promise I forsake. I went in to the most horrendous spiritual attack at that point. I did not sleep that night. My teeth began to ache. My chest began to ache. My body began to ache. And I think, what's happening to me? I felt sick in the stomach. I thought I'm coming down with something. I woke up and I felt fine. I came and saw my pastor and I told him, he said, did you pray anything? Before you went, I said, yeah. And I told him what I prayed. He said, you just experienced an onslaught from hell because that's the last thing hell wants you to do because hell knows that when you wholeheartedly yield to the Lordship of Jesus and wholeheartedly embrace a place or a posture of repentance and you follow the way of salvation according to God's way, not what seems right in your own eyes, hell knows that that will take you into the fullness of all the life Jesus purchased to give you. It's not about working to get it. It's it's about positioning myself. It's about a posture. It's about coming God's way and a denial of my own way so that I might live in the fullness of everything He purchased for us. I want the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's not just His unmerited favor and it's not just His, His forgiveness. It encompasses all of that. But the grace of God is His empowering in my life. And the Bible says he resists the proud. The proud are those that says, well, I want a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'll take that, but not that. We either take the whole package or we take nothing as far as God's concerned. And he is saying, if you 
have pride in your life to the point where you just say, well, I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of this. He will resist you. You've got no chance of getting the promises of God fulfilled in your life. I'm sorry. But he says, I give grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. What do you need to get a breakthrough in your life? Let me tell you. You need humility. Desperately, you need humility. You want a breakthrough from heaven? You need humility. You need hunger. Hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those that seek first the kingdom of God. They will be satisfied. I want to live satisfied. And Jesus has promised that if I hunger and thirst for his kingdom and his ways and his purpose and his righteousness, I will live a, with a satisfied soul. So we need, we need humility. We need hunger. We also need honor. There is so much dishonor in the church today. A dishonoring of one another. A dishonoring of the poor and the disadvantaged. We look down on the poor and the disadvantaged. And we, we almost have the same attitude of, thank God that I'm not like them. The only difference between you and them is Him. And humility acknowledges that and recognizes that. And as a result of recognizing and acknowledging that, you have a heart for them. So you need humility, you need hunger, you need honor. Honor up, honor down, wherever it is. You need to honor people around you. You also need a heart for the lost and the broken. Because the only difference between you and them is Jesus. We need those things in our life. Those things will give you breakthrough. I hope you don't feel beaten up. I was talking to Margot, what I, I think what I'm going to try and say this morning, because I haven't had much time to prep it. She said, oh, I say it with grace. She says, sometimes you come across so hard, and I know I can, but folks, I'm, honestly, I'm not angry with anybody. I'm just passionate about this, and my heart is going, I want you to have all that God has, desires for you to have, and, and you won't get it by living a certain lifestyle or following a certain journey or a pathway or harboring certain resentments and unforgiveness. There is so much of that in the house of God today. You're not following Jesus. Am I, am I going to live to get revenge? You know, so many of us live under an old covenant principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And there's so much bitterness and revenge. And I, I'm going to get you back for what you did. But Jesus is saying, no, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. And that is so hard to do. But if we will do it, the blessing of God will flow into our life. If we are just obedient in the hard things get a breakthrough but are you really following Jesus or are you following your own little theories your own little theologies your own little wants and desires let's follow Jesus